Well, hey there, Todd. Welcome back. Uh, really enjoying uh, your stories as we progress through. Although we haven't we haven't made a lot of progress years wise. We're just in the early <laughs> the early eighties here. But I yeah really enjoyed you talking about Cincinnati College and David Fitzsimmons and Todd Milner. Where are we going to cover today? Uh, last time I think we were uh, wanting to finish up uh, kind of the issue of uh, experiences in Cincinnati, and then uh, then take it to the point of uh, the move uh, to uh, New York State, uh, and I took over the mortuary science program at a small community college there. So I thought we would uh, kind of journey through those and explore those subjects uh, in this session, if that would be uh, okay. That sounds great. Okay, so we, we want to kind of tie off Cincinnati, if, that, if such a thing is possible, uh, because Cincinnati played and still continues to play an important part in my, my work and my life. Um, so when, when my son and I moved to Cincinnati, as a matter of fact, we moved there 40 years ago this coming April. And I suspect part of the reason that we were able to not prosper, uh, but survive is because I was 30 years old at the time and had much more energy and much more naivete about just how vulnerable we were. A three-year-old and a 30-year-old going to a town that they never lived in before, big, big city. Um, and being a single parent was a scary, frightening experience. Um, and, and I'm sure they existed. But in 1982, I personally did not know any man in a city of 3 million people that were a single parent. I didn't even know, I couldn't find even a support group or a network of single, I could find single women who were single, or I could find women who were single parents, but I knew of no men who were single parents. And actually there was uh, some uh, social stigma that I experienced in being a man as a single parent. I think the, I don't think, I know I experienced a sense of what's wrong with the, the situation here. Why does a man have uh, sole custody of a three-year-old? Um, there wasn't any uh, overt, uh, rude, uh, comments, but you could feel it even with the people at the schools uh, that I had to search out. And that was a monumental task was to uh, locate schools for him uh, to um, go to while I was uh, trying to build my career in mortuary education. So I didn't ever intend to be an educator. Um, I just fell into it by circumstances that were really beyond my control. 
<clears throat> but one saving grace, and, and this has been a recurring theme in my life, is that, you know, and, and I, I don't think this is uh, anything unique, that when things start to go sideways in life, there's always issues that uh, bring uh, happiness and uh, joy. And one, one great blessing for me was to be in Cincinnati. I imagine by the time I'm done describing my experience with Cincinnati, I, I might be hired in their tourist agency up there uh, as a promo to bring conventions to Cincinnati. Cincinnati was a wonderful city to for a fellow like me. And the the jewels in the crown of Cincinnati were number one, the history of that city. Um, there was just endless stories about the development and what happened in uh, Cincinnati, the families uh, and and then also, um, without question, was my high attraction to Music Hall and to the outstanding Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. I have been a classical music aficionado all of my life. In fact, uh, I used to teach piano when I was in college to make beer money. And the more complicated the music, the more I enjoyed it. Um, and I remember the first time I went to a concert at Music Hall in Cincinnati, I walked into that building and it was like, I am home. This is exactly where a guy like me needs to be. And the minute uh, the conductor, his name was Michael Geelan back then, raised his baton, and hit the downbeat for whatever um, symphony they were starting to play, it was like I had died and gone to heaven because they were a group of virtuosos. They, they didn't make a mistake. They went right through it, and it was just wonderful. So the, uh, so the point being, the Cincinnati had these tremendous cultural educational resources. Um, and also the mortuary college was located on a bonafide college campus, uh, which really added a lot of uh, credibility. It added a lot of atmosphere uh, for our uh, students and for us that work there. The other thing with Cincinnati I wanna say is, um, there was a funeral home in Cincinnati, Ohio, named Schaefer and Busby. And Schaefer and Busby was down on West 9th Street. Spring Groves purchased them in the last five years or so. But I would say of all the thousands of funeral homes that I've been in, Schaefer and Busby has to be the most fascinating funeral home that I have ever, ever been connected with. At the time, uh, Harold Whitmire and a man named Dave Danner. Uh, Harold was on the board of directors of the college and Dave Danner has become one of my best friends. They were the two principals of that firm and the firm 
was this downtown Cincinnati, um, Fulner Mortuary had already closed their door. Schaefer and Busby had acquired those assets. They were downtown. There was a Riedlinger funeral home up in over the Rhine that was still open back then. But Schaefer and Busby had this clientele that was, I've never seen anything like it. In fact, I could describe it this way. They never had a normal funeral. So Schaefer and Busby's clientele, they would bury members of the Taft family, right? I mean, the Tafts were the one of the first families of Cincinnati. One of the relatives became president of the United States, uh, United States senators, and Schaefer and Busby would bury all the Tafts. They buried uh, the Proctors. They buried the Gambles. Uh, but then the next call they'd have is an indigent that they found under the Maring Way Bridge and nobody knew who they were and they were going to be buried at Potter's Field. And I, I hope your listeners can appreciate how unique that clientele was because they buried the rich and the famous in Cincinnati and did funerals and they buried the least of these. It was one of the most fascinating uh, funeral homes that I've ever, ever been connected with. And then there were these neighborhoods uh, and still are, Cincinnati is a tremendously neighborhood oriented city. And then within these neighborhoods would be these favorite watering holes, uh, these kind of out of almost like speakeasies in a way, you know, only the locals knew these bars and these places. In fact, I was talking to a friend the other day about how, how much fun it was, was to call somebody up and say, let's meet at Zimmer's. And Zimmer's was this German restaurant off to the side in Oakley. Um, and my point being is Cincinnati had an abundance of those um, unforgettable local um, uh, flavor places that add so much uh, to to life. And so for me, part of my uh, healing process um, was living in Cincinnati. There wasn't a thing about the city that I didn't like. Um, I've always liked the fire department. Cincinnati had the first fire department, paid fire department in the United States. I uh, and they had a great museum downtown. And so it just, it just uh, evolved from there. Um, but then, they, of course, the obstacles um, were um, I, at my job. I was teaching embalming. But then I got put into the classroom. And this was, <laughs> this was a very humbling experience because... Um, I thought I knew something, right? But I found out later that the faculty that were there, I, 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 did, I did okay running the embalming lab. I, we were doing a bunch of embalming and I, it, the, the lab was over on Redding Road behind the old mortuary school. And I did okay with that, right? I mean, I learned really how to embalm by teaching it over there. But then there was a little dust up at the college. 
we had a, a faculty member who uh, got loggerheads with the president of the college. And he taught social sciences, which was the thing I was interested in doing, psychic grief, sociology of death and dying, funeral directing, um, history of funeral service, those type of things. And so he, uh, he left after this dust up. And uh, so they, op so it opened up and, and uh, they gave me the job. I later found out, in fact, well, I didn't later find out because I, I, I flubbed it up horribly, right? The, the, my flub up came is that I didn't know how to prep a class. I had no clue on how to prep and we were on the quarter system, an 11 week class. I didn't know how to write the notes out. I didn't know. And looking back at it, looking back at it, I, I, I don't know why they didn't fire me over it, right? Because I, I lied about it. I, they kept saying to me, how's the preps going? Oh, fine, 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 you know, fine, fine. Um, and finally, you know, it came to the day of reckoning and I had to bring in my preps and I sat down at the desk, I had three pages. Now think of that a minute. I, I don't know if your listeners can appreciate. I had three pages of notes for an 11 week class. I should have had 300 pages of notes, which is what I would have now, right? And so the, the, the fellow that was the head of the school looked at me and he goes, all right, he said, you have 11 weeks to put this together from scratch. You're gonna have to make it up as you go. And he said, and if you can't do that, I'll teach the class. Well, he might as well just put a bullet in my brain, right? Because I thought I was the heir apparent to this course <clears throat> and I was being told straight out. And then he added this. He said, you need to understand this. There's not a person on this staff that thinks you can pull this off. Oh my God, I remember sitting there and it was like the loser thing started up again. Uh, fear, trembling, oh my God, if they fire me, what am I gonna do with my three-year-old? Uh, it, was, it was horrible. Now, looking back at it, it was one of the best experiences of I, in my entire lifetime because I had by my feet to the fire figure out how to prep a class and the man that was telling me this this blunt news he was not kidding that if he was going to prep the class he would teach it himself that you have to prep your own classwork and he was absolutely right you can't you can't effectively use somebody else's uh, preps. And so my, my point of this is that uh, I flubbed that up royally. It's a wonder that I wasn't booted out. Um, so, but once I figured it out, right, one, I was pretty damn good at it, right? I mean, because I knew where the resources were. Uh, so Cincinnati, uh, just to tie this off, with a nice little bow. Cincinnati was 
equal to Iowa as far as formation goes in my life and uh, my career. So while I'm in Cincinnati, though, there was this American Board of Funeral Service Education rule. And here's the rule. You can start to teach with a bachelor's degree, but you have five years to finish a master's degree. If you haven't finished a master's degree in five years, you no longer can teach at American Board accredited schools. And so I looked around at five years, was long, in fact, five years was you could take a course a semester and in five years have it done. So it wasn't, it wasn't like they're browbeating you uh, to get this done. And so I decided of all things, I looked at Xavier University um, and their tuition was really, really steep because it was a private Jesuit college university. But there was this, there was this place in Mount Washington, uh, Mount Washington section of Cincinnati called the Athenaeum of Ohio. And the Athenaeum is a Greek word meaning center of learning. Uh, libraries used to be called Athenaeums. And part of the Athenaeum was Mount St. Mary's Seminary of the West. And they had this program in lay pastoral ministry. And I hate to admit this, but what it, what, it didn't go to make it bit of difference. I, I, I decided to go to that program because all the other graduate programs had, I, I would have had to take in the graduate record exam. I would have had to take in an exam to get in, to even be considered for the master's program. And I had no confidence, none whatsoever, because my uh, ACT scores and SAT scores were abysmal uh, when I took them. Um, so I decided to go to the seminary because um, they didn't require the graduate record exam. Interestingly, the seminary program was three years. A master's degree in a regular college would have been a year and a half. A master's degree in a regular college would have been 30 hours. And I picked the program that's three years long and is 95 hours, right? So I've picked a program that's three times longer just because I didn't have the guts to take the graduate record exam because I knew I would fail it. <clears throat> See, uh, that's that, that kind of uh, post-traumatic stress thing that pops up in my brain uh, routinely, right? But it all, it turned out <clears throat> that the seminary was a wonderful experience and it was a really strange experience in that I was Protestant, right? And they, they would let, they, and it was a Roman Catholic program and they let me in and they let women in to the lay pastoral ministry program. Um, it was the seminary was for people studying to be priests and they had like nine to 12 students in the seminary. Our program had 280 students uh, in the program, which said a whole lot 
about the realities uh, of that environment. Um, and so the three years I went out to, uh, uh, and I went out every night, so Monday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights were classes. And um, it was a wonderful experience because it made me, it, it, I developed into a better funeral director because of going to seminary. I, I don't know if I was ever a great funeral director, but I did become a better funeral director by my work at seminary because the subjects that we talked about were so relevant to the realities of death and grief and bereavement. The seminary was not candy coating anything. It didn't candy coat anything. Um, it uh, talked uh, about uh, the, the substance of life, which I personally really related to as far as my work with bereaved families and some of the experiences I had on the ambulance service. And so what I found was that I was much older than most of the students, so that intimidated me. I also was really intimidated that what would they do with an undertaker in their midst but what, it, what I discovered was particularly in subjects like pastoral counseling, pastoral theology, ministerial outreach, I had a hell of a lot to contribute to that because of my 30 years or my 25 years of work in funeral homes. I, it, it really connected uh, very well. So at the end of the seminary, um, I made some tremendous good friends. Um, I ended up teaching a course on death and dying for them. They had no courses on death and dying. Isn't that crazy? A seminary does not have a course on death and dying. But I ended up teaching a course for them here and there. Um, and uh, at the end of it, it came time for graduation and for the time for certification as a minister. And I remember, and I'll say this to your listeners with all humility, um, I declined certification. Uh, and I declined it because uh, I said to the rector of the seminary, uh, if any of my friends saw the term reverend in front of Todd Van Beck's name, they would absolutely uh, have a the biggest laugh of their life because uh, what is there possibly to revere about a guy like me? And so I, I refuse certification. And to this very day, I know I made the right decision um, because I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to claim something that I had no right to. So that's um, that's Cincinnati. Um, and um, I think next time uh, we might want to explore students uh, because uh, students, I just mentioned to you, I had to go to seminary Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights. So now the glaring issue comes up of babysitters. And I, I was so blessed because I had an, an instant um, nanny service uh, 
right through the mortuary school. And I think that's where we'll start next time. Well, Todd, that sounds great. You know, you did answer a question that I've had for a long time because I've heard you talk about seminary and I've always wondered why there hasn't been some title in front of your name. So now you've answered that question and and it sounds like you made the right decision. I know I did. Yes, I know I did. Okay, well, we will uh, come back next time and i um, interested to hear about uh, your students and how they helped you out. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Rob.